Hello and welcome to the Awakening the Sleeping Giant podcast, a ministry of the exchange where we are improving church effectiveness through healthy church and ministry assessments, mission trip planning, and workshops on evangelism, discipleship, church structure, and strategic planning. You can find more about our ministry, the exchange, at www. Dot made the exchange.com. You can also email me at be the church.go at gmail.com. You can email me for uh, questions or if you would like to be on the show, uh, you can email me as well and we will schedule a time to do a recording. All right. Well, I am excited for this episode, so let's get started. All right, guys, I'm super excited for this episode because we have a special guest here with us today. Uh, we have with us Larry Cleveringa, um, and he's got quite the story he's going to share with us, and then he's also going to talking about some of his experiences in the church. I want to introduce Larry just a little bit for you guys. So he is a recovering alcoholic and drug addict, and he is 19 years clean. Uh, so that is absolutely amazing. I mean, right now he actually is currently working with families that are struggling with addiction and working through recovery. And so he has a heart for the recovery ministry and seeing those that uh, struggle with addiction be set free. Now he has worked as the program director and Larry and his wife has served as house parents for Lakeshore LifeWorks, which is a ministry that uh, helps adult men ages 18 through 21 who have aged out of foster care to learn life skills. Uh, so essentially teaching them how to live on their own, how to get a job, how to fill out resumes and all of that stuff. And so that's just a really awesome ministry that's located uh, right here in Holland, Michigan. Uh, he is also the former lead singer of the Christian rock band Broken Chains. Uh, he's now a solo Christian rock singer songwriter. Uh, he told me earlier, everybody knows him as Larry C. And so we're super stoked because he's actually going to be at our our event in July, the coming here weekend of evangelism. So he's going to be sharing his testimony and singing there. Like I said, he just really loves the recovery community and really wants the church to be better equipped to, to work with that group of people. So we're going to get started. Larry's going to share his story. Um, and then we're just going to kind of go into a little back and forth conversation. So Larry, I'm going to turn it over to you uh, to share a little bit of your story with us. Well, hey, thank you, John. Uh, yeah, hey, it's an honor to, to be here and to even be able to talk about some of these things. Uh, I'm 57 years old. I have uh, four grown children and 10 grandbabies. Uh, and the, the interesting part of all of that is I never thought I would have a family like this um, when I was a, a very young man. Um, I was put up for adoption at one years old and between one and seven I had been in 10 or 12 foster homes. Hmm. At seven I got adopted by a uh, uh, the last name that I have now, uh, but they I was given back up when I was 15 and spent two years in Star Commonwealth out in Albion, Jackson, which is a private school for juvenile delinquents. Okay. And so at, you know, at seven, I get adopted into this family, and the father is a military police officer, and uh, he, he was actually in the Korean War, and uh, very uh, strict, very uh, um, demanding, and, you know... Uh, I got in a, a lot of trouble uh, just because of the nature of what that first few years actually turned me into. So having said that, uh, it's interesting that I have my own family because I never even thought that I would see 30 years old, 35, um, when I got given back up at 15 and then went through that private school. Once I was done with that school, I was on my own. So I, 
essentially I've been on my own since 15, 16 years old and uh, got into all kinds of trouble. Um, figured out my love of music and I've been a, a singer and, and in countless bands for many, many, many years. And that really led me down a path of, of some pretty severe destruction. And I was never a violent person. I think the attitude and the stance I had was, uh, I'll show you, I'll hurt me. Society, you made me this way, you're gonna have to deal with me. Mm. Um, became a, a raving alcoholic, crackhead, whatever mm. label you wanna put on it. You know, uh, I never really cared for heroin. Um, doesn't mean I wouldn't have done it if you stuck it in my face. But, you know, but that was the thing. And, and so I spent, you know, two-thirds of my life as, as that. And then I uh, met my wife. We've been married for 30 years. And uh, she was in the first 12 years, you know, uh, when we got married. Um, she had no idea what she got herself into. Mm-hmm. And the interest, here's another thing. This is how God works. I meet my wife at the courthouse in Grand Haven. She's there trying to get child support for her daughter, and I'm there setting it up for my first son. Little do I know, she's a Sunday school teacher. Hmm. So she's already got her hands in Christian ministry and this and that. And of course, I was a pretty slick talker, you know, huh? and uh, one way or another I got her interested in me and then we started seeing each other and that's a whole another story right mm. there that's an amazing story how that all happened she proceeded then to, to live with me for the next many years as someone who has to live with an, an addict and an mm. alcoholic who, who doesn't share in that life and, and it was very destructive mm. on the finances and every time we, things would be going good I'd, I'd go and spend all the money and you wouldn't see me for two days, three days. So right towards the end there, I, uh, uh, one of the things that happened that brought sobriety around for me was well, I was on my way home from a night of drinking and uh, I lived in Logan Estates Trailer Park there in, in, in Zealand actually. And it was about two o'clock in the morning, it had been raining uh, and I was very drunk driving. And I actually tried to turn into the trailer park and ran into the great big Fieldstone sign that's out front <laughs> oh of God. the trailer park destroyed the the sign. There was bricks everywhere, oh. and this is how the police found me. <laughs> I was drunk enough that I just backed the van up and drove to where my trailer was in the trailer park. They just followed the pieces of the vehicle to the <laughs> to the house. So, anyways, th- this was the one and only time that my children ever saw the police handcuff me and mm. take me away mm. and that was very traumatic for them they were only nine mm. and ten years old my, my two youngest so you know I ended up having to go to court that whole thing and by that point in my life it, it, you know that night when I left for drink and I was thinking to myself why am I even going anywhere nobody wants to drink with me anymore mm. I drink too hard I party too hard I wreck everything I get my hands on including my own life I've been in prison I've, you know I've been locked up for for countless different times. I've done three different, uh, two different year tether terms. Oh, wow. You know, so I've been there and I've been down that road. Was the church at all involved in this anywhere, you know, from when, you know, you got put into the the foster system up until, you know, this point? Like, was the church involved in there at all? When I got adopted at seven years old, um, 
I actually was playing in my grandmother's backyard, which is the mother of the son that adopted me. Okay. I had been playing in her backyard for two or three years already. Her son and his wife just happened to see me playing one day out behind his mom's house, okay? And they're like, who's that little boy? <laughs> they couldn't have any kids. Okay. They found out what was going on and they decided to adopt me. Now. I have to tell you right now, his mom, my grandpa and grandma, Cleveringa, they're both dead now. They are hellfire and brimstone <laughs> Nazarene Christian. Okay. Okay, they're from the Nazarene sect. That's the church they went to. So, yes, I at seven years old, I started going to church on Sundays, Wednesday evenings, Sunday nights. Okay. And I did that for the next six years. So, like so as you started, you know living this destructive lifestyle what what was the church's response you know to you, you know, starting to live like this what i came to understand uh sitting in church growing up as a as a kid and then in through through my teen years you know um to be honest with you i was scared to death of god mm. um just because of all of the it, it was don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do that. You know, you're gonna you're gonna burn if you do this. Mm -hmm. I mean, just I think the the terminology that was used felt more like a, a pressure mechanism mm -hmm. than anything else. Yeah, I would say I have a similar similar story. I I remember when when I accepted Jesus at a young age, um, it it was because I I was afraid to go to hell. You know, so it's like I accepted Jesus, so I didn't go to hell. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, and I think that's a lot of people's story. And so, so that fear, you know, what, like what age did kind of fear of God set in? I think it was right around 12, 13 years old, actually, okay. because then I started realizing, you know, I, I was able to, instead of just hearing this from the church, I was now starting to be able to reason in my own mind of, you know, hey, yeah, this isn't good. Sure. I don't think God would like this. I mean, from everything that I've heard. <laughs> that I've been told about God, this is not good. So the answer to some of that was just to ignore church altogether mm -hmm. as you go. Stop going, stop being associated with all of that. The farther I got into my partying in my teen years, early 20s, I found it increasingly more and more difficult to go visit my grandmother. So kind of like this, if I'm going to hell, I might as well have fun on the way type of mindset? I think so, yes, you know. So, so once you once you were like full blown, you're addicted to drugs, you're addicted to alcohol. Did the church have any part of trying to help you recover? Any sort of connection there? You know, and if so, what was there any sort of success? If not, you know, what do you think? You know, some of those contributing factors might be. So, uh, yeah, when sobriety happened for me, because I just kind of have to. This will lead into all of that. I'm sitting in the courtroom getting ready to be sentenced for that drunk driving. A month or two earlier, we got news that my wife was going to have to have surgery on her neck and have a, a bone and plate and everything mm. else put in her neck, and that she would be now down for several months with no one to take care of her or the kids. Mm. So as I'm sitting there with my lawyer, because I had made up this great big story and was going to try and get out of it, I'm sitting there looking at my wife. That information just flooded me about the whole surgery thing that's getting ready to happen. I'm looking at the lawyer, right? I hear a voice that tells me, if you do not stop this now, you will die this way. 
I looked at my wife. The feeling was that, why are you doing this and dragging someone with you that has, has not asked for any of this to be a part of her So life? the Lord spoke to you in that moment. Spoke to me in that moment. And I really think that, you know, even though the drink, the drinking and the drugs and all that, I still wrestled all the time with my relationship with God. Sure. And it was always on the worst end of it because of how I was living. Yeah. Okay. So this happens. I go, I look at the lawyer. I look at my wife. I got tears running down my face. I look at my lawyer and says, I can't do this. I'm changing my plea to guilty. Hmm. I went in front of the judge and I told him, I said, listen, I says, I can't do this. All right. I have to stop with the drinking and the drugs and all that. I know. But my wife is getting ready to have surgery and there isn't anybody to take care of her. I am asking the courts to allow me to at least be home to take care of her because this is happening. And it all happened just like that. Really? He let me go home on a 90-day tether oh my so gosh. I could be there with my wife. I did my four, three years of probation, whatever. But in the meantime of all of this, okay, and this is this is where we're going to get into church and yeah. how that all impacted me. Um, I had tried AA at several different occasions earlier on. I just wasn't ready, you know. I just wasn't ready sure. to get clean and sober. Um, but even in AA, they, uh, you know, God is a very central focus of, of things. And, but you know, but, but they label it as a God of your understanding. So yeah. I mean, if you're Buddha, if you're whoever, it's your God of your understanding. Okay, okay. that's how they work that. You know, I, I had already had affiliations with AA. So I did actually start going back to AA, but it was only a matter of time before I'm like, oh, this isn't enough. Mm. It's not enough. So uh, I got introduced to uh, 70 times 7 Ministries, and they were doing this healing path thing, and it was a big recovery ministry. It was a band thing. that they Once a month, they'd get together. They'd have a, a potluck, and there was a band that would do praise and worship mm-hmm. stuff, all that. And uh, I finally got the nerve to, to just kind of start talking to the guy that was running it. And I said, yeah. Well, he says, well, can you sing? <laughs> and I says, yeah, yeah, I can sing. So the next time they did that, I came and, and was with him. And then I ended up spending the next eight years Wow. with this recovery ministry. Wow. This was apart from the church, though. I mean, it was affiliated yeah. with 70 times 7. Yeah. And this is where we can start talking about some of the difficulties sure. that we find uh, in just relating, the church relating to the public or the public relating yeah. to the church, those types of issues. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you because, I, you know, before we start recording, I, I asked you, like, what are some of the you know major issues that you see in the church? And one of the things that you had said was the church doesn't seem to know how to work with the recovery community very well. And so I, I'd, I'd love to hear, like, what do you mean by that? Because there are tons of recovery ministries, yeah. right? And I think it's important for people to understand that just because there are recovery ministries doesn't mean that the church actually knows how to know work with the recovery community so i'd love to hear you kind of expand a little bit more on that of like what do you mean by that and then what are some of the things that you could see the church you know could improve on you know to be able to relate to that recovery community more to be able to help them not just become sober but really help them you know in their walk with the lord right so uh perfect example now that you bring this up fact is is that I when I started singing for the healing path band and that's that's the recovery stuff that would happen once a month um, we always did it at this old farmhouse and there was a barn okay 
it was on the property, but it wasn't in the church. Yeah. We did that for many years, four or five years into it. And then the farmhouse burnt down. That whole place got sold or turned into a wetlands thing or something yep. like that. So we ended up having to move it to continue doing it. Nobody would come. Bring that up because the recovery community, first you have got to figure out how to get someone to the point mm. where they'll even consider approaching a church again. So there's like an issue right there, right at the the foundational elements of the church in North America. The building itself was a, a problem. Yes. The building itself was a turnoff really to those that need the church the most. They need what the what the church stands for, but they are they despise the building. And I and I wonder if that's because some of the same issues that I had younger, being so afraid of God being so turned off by the no, 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 no's. It's a good excuse to not have to want to deal with God. Yeah. Well, look at all the hypocrites. Look at this. Well, I'm telling you right now, uh, what should the church be full of? Hypocrites, manipulators, liars, thieves. I mean, that's what the church is supposed to be for, to go and have those things worked on and, and fixed. But for some reason, there, there's, a, there's a real disconnect between people who know that they are spiritually dying mm -hmm. because of their actions, and then this connection, they just can't make the connection of bringing themselves to go into a actual church. Mm -hmm. it's, it's an image thing, I think. I think there's something with the imaging there. Maybe the church hasn't done the greatest job of saying, you know, no matter what's going on, come on, let's talk about it. You know, what can we actually do? You know, I talk about this a little bit in my book. You know, I wonder if it has to do really with a lot of here in North America. You know, we call the church, you know, this building and this location and this organization. You know, and and that's what you know whether you know whether we want to admit it or not. Most of us, when we say church, that's what we we mean. Yeah. Right. We don't mean you know, going the people and assembling together. Right. It's like it's like you know. I've I've come across you know people I've talked to you know in, in ministry full time pastors they know what they're supposed to think the church is but yet what they're actually doing isn't that you know it's like you know so oh no the, the church is the the whole body of Christ but but yet you know they're not acting like that because of of this building so you know what I talk about in my book is like have we put a label on something that's not even church. And so in my book, I, I use, you know, the Dodge Charger as an example, you know, and, and I'm too young to, to remember the original Dodge Charger, but I know what it was, right? It was a two-door sports car, right? Well, now we have a four-door family sedan that they call a Charger, right? And, and the point I make in my book is like, is that really a Charger? And I would have to say diehard American hot rod fans would say, would absolutely say, no. not. Well, Negative. <laughs> but why do we call it a Charger? Because we've because what, what Dodge did is they took a familiar label and slapped it on something else so they could make sales. And it was a great strategy. It worked. But you can't call that a Charger. And so I think we've done that with the church. Right, we we've taken what the Bible calls the church, and we've slapped it onto something familiar, which is a business, mm -hmm. right, or an organization. Say, okay, this is church now, and so now we've actually started calling something church that isn't, and it never was, and it actually 
doesn't even remotely resemble what church actually is. Just mm-hmm. like the new Dodge Charger. It doesn't right. even resemble what the original Dodge Charger it was. It has the name. But now that's the Charger. It just has the name. And so my fear is, is that that's what we have done with the church. We've given an organization, which, which mind you, is doing great things. You know, there, there's great things happening. There's great ministries happening. But at the end of the day, I think we need to ask ourselves, is it the church? And I would have to say, no, it's a great Christian organization, but it's not the church. And I think that might be some of these issues when you start looking at the recovery community, you know, because they're learning about the church outside of the quote unquote church. Right. And all of a sudden they're looking at this organization and like, well, wait a minute, that looks nothing like what we've been learning. Why would I want to go there? That's right. You know, and and so so I think it's like some foundational issues that the church has to realize. Like if we want to reach the people who need Jesus the most, we have to look at our foundational elements and, and are we actually the church or are we just a, a good Christian organization doing great things? Mm-hmm. You know, and so what are your thoughts on that? I think that without intentional actions, there will not be intentional outcomes. That's what I really believe. And I think that when you have a heart, when a church says that they want to have a recovery ministry, um, I don't think most of them actually know what they're getting themselves into. Okay, and I can compare it to this. Um, I have no business going and talking to a woman who was raped about rape mm-hmm. because I have no idea what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Okay, now I know rape's not good. I know that people can recover from it if they're willing to do a, mm-hmm. some emotional work and that and that type of stuff. But it's like that kind of thought and that kind of thinking isn't even present in the church as far as, um, well, hey, just come and, and and we'll we'll counsel you and all that. But are the answers that are being given basic? principal truths that we know Jesus would have said yeah that, that's correct you know that is the way that things need to be done but at the same time you cannot expect a blacksmith to know how to do the work of a farmer mm-hmm. okay so you have to the church has to be willing to say all right how do we approach this and it's obvious we don't have the tools in our toolkit to really start being effective in this problem. So I think leadership needs to get together and mm-hmm. one, they have to recognize their weaknesses. We have to talk about what are some of the weak points mm. in our church when it comes to the salvation message, mm-hmm. the people that we're trying to reach. Who are the people we're trying to reach versus who we're actually reaching? Mm-hmm. Okay, Do those two match up? You know, and, I, and I think, you know, it's like I love what you're saying because it's, you know, it's really getting my mind going, you know, because, you know, the reason that I got fired from the church in Tennessee is because I was teaching that the church is not for non-believers. Like, by definition, it's not for that. Right. Like, it doesn't even make any sense why we invite non-believers to church just on like a purely basic level that the church is meant for believers to learn how to grow so we can go out and reach non-believers, lead them to Jesus, and bring them into the church family, right? And, and, I, yeah, and hang on, hang on, the church family, let's stop a second about yeah. the church family because I just had a thought. When you look at the lives of the disciples, yeah, 
All right. Did any of them say, hey, you have to come here for me to talk to you? No. <laughs> Every single one of them went. And they went in front of crowds. They yes. didn't They didn't go and make an establishment and then say, well, if you want to hear this message, you got to come here to hear it. Yes. They didn't do any of that. This was all word of mouth, person to person salvation. A absolutely. You know, and so when we're looking at even how you know the North American church functions outside of the structure and all that stuff, even just how it functions isn't biblical. It's functioning as a place for people to come to hear about Jesus. And that's 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 not the purpose of the church. The church isn't a location. The church is the body of Christ. Right. So how can you invite non-believers into the body of Christ? You, you can't do it. It doesn't make any sense. And so that's where we need to be teaching go, right? That's where we need to be teaching. Okay, you have the gift of evangelism. Go evangelize, yep. all right? Teach others how to evangelize. You know, like, okay, let's, let's actually talk about the Great Commission. Jesus says, go therefore, not come therefore. Right, so it says, go therefore and make disciples, baptize them, and teach them to obey everything Jesus has commanded, right? And so I think like at a foundational level, we as a church need to realize that if we're going to gather as a large group of people, which, which is fine, there's nothing against that, right? You do find it in scripture. But if that's what we're going to do, we need to do it for two reasons. One, we're either doing it as believers for the purpose of growth in our own faith, so we can go out and minister to the lost, or it is an evangelistic meeting focused on non-believers. And what we have to realize is the second a non-believer shows up in that group, that group is no longer the church. The church exists, but the group is no longer the church because a non-believer is now there, part of the group. Present. And so once the non-believer is present, our message needs to shift from teaching the body to evangelism. Yes. You know, and so I think that like we just have to be teaching what does go look like for the church? What does it mean for church leadership to actually equip the body to go out, you know, to give them the authority, to give them, you know, the the commission, to commission them to go out. Mm -hmm. You know, that's one of the things, you know, at, at the come and here event, like this is purely evangelism. And yes. and at the end like we are commissioning, right? Okay. It is your job now to go out and share your faith with people. Go make disciples. Mm -hmm. I don't care what local church you're part of. I, I don't care. You go out and, and do that, you know, and then you start looking at all of the pressure that's taken off of the church leadership when people actually start doing what they're called to do. Well, now there's room to reach you know, those in recovery. Now there's room to actually counsel and, and discipleship because pastors can actually pastor now, right? I think one of the biggest problems, you know, and correct me if I'm wrong, Larry, one of the biggest problems, you know, with the recovery community in the church is that pastors are not pastoring. They're just teaching. Right. There's no pastors. Well, I think I mentioned earlier that uh, one of the big difficulties I ran into, especially first on in recovery, was that I always heard the message in church of don't do this, don't mm. do this, don't do this, don't do this. But there was very little of, hey, um, if you are doing this, this is how you correct it. These are the things that you need to do to correct that. We're very good at telling people what not to do. Yeah. 
okay, one way that the church can really actually effectively reach people is that when someone walks in your church, there needs to be transparency. Mm -hmm. If I cannot walk up to the person that's in that church that I know that is in a position or whatever and start talking to them about the sins that are plaguing my life mm -hmm. without feeling weird, you just can tell when there's a tone shift in the stance of a church. You know, I, the, church and I, the church that my wife and I go to, one of the reasons why we're there is because of what is preached off from mm. the pulpit. It's the only reason why we ever go to a, a church, mm -hmm. you know, when we had to go and look for a different church. It was the main thing. We didn't care what was going on in the rest of the church. Mm -hmm. okay? That truth has to come from the pulpit. Mm -hmm. There's so much junk in the media. There's, I mean, we're bombarded with it 24-7, mm -hmm. okay? All of this stuff, ridiculousness that's going on out here. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so... Being, trying to find a church that is actually teaching someone the biblical process of mm -hmm. change instead of just what the outcome is. And I think what we find in Scripture is that is discipleship. Yes. Right? That is proper discipleship. And I think it's important, especially for all the, the teachers out there, it's important to realize that discipleship isn't just teaching somebody something. Right. Discipleship is walking with them and teaching them something and then expecting them to actually apply what they're learning like immediately. That, that's something that, you know, and you and I were just talking about this before we hit record. Right. Is is so often churches like they won't even let you step into ministry unless you've like been credentialed or, yes. you know, unless you've got some sort of education or Maybe if you're, you know, 60 years old and you've been a Christian, you know, for 59 of those years, right? <laughs> you know, but we have this extremely horrible habit of thinking that people can't get something wrong and that they need to know everything before they minister. And that is not what Jesus taught. Jesus taught immediacy. Jesus taught, which is crazy, like we do it with everything else in our life, right? Uh, before we started, I said, hey, do you need a drink? Do you have a soda? And I was like, yeah, we, we've got the, I, and I'm not sponsored by Dr. Pepper. I'm just saying this because what we're drinking, right? <laughs> and I said, hey, we got the zero sugar Dr. Pepper strawberries and cream. And you'd never had it before. And, and what did I say? I said, oh, it's really good. You should try it. No, I've tried it. Now, how long did you take to study that can and figure out all of the details before you drank it? Didn't at all, did you? Didn't at all. I just <laughs> opened it and drank it. Oh, I guess it tastes pretty good. So based on my recommendation, you immediately applied what you've learned. It's good, it's soda, and it's got no sugar. Yeah. Well, why do we not do that with Christians? Yes. Well, why, does it, why do we feel like they need to know everything under the sun before they go teach somebody else? And um, I think there's a, one of the things that I think is a problem, and, and I believe it riddles uh, mankind all the way through because it's part of our carnal nature. Uh, whether we realize it or not, anytime we're in positions of authority, okay, uh, now all of a sudden there's this sense of urgency of making sure that whatever is happening is actually safe. Mm. Okay, well, Jesus wasn't safe. Mm -mm. Man, he was all walking across the water in storms. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, he didn't wait for it to calm down. He went. So, right? so why? I, I love that. So, and he did that with his disciples too. Like, yes. they were like radically like unsafe. What, what do you think we see in Scripture of why that was even possible? Why, how could the disciples 
feel okay doing that and having other people. How could Jesus, outside of the fact that he's God, right? How could Jesus be okay with all of this chaos going on? It's because he was discipling them. Yes. He knew that they were going to mess up and he could teach them and correct them. The disciples were okay screwing up because they knew they were going to be taught. You know, the reason Paul was okay sending Timothy out wasn't because Timothy was this like well-educated, well-learned, you know, known Jesus is, you know, from the time Jesus started. No, it was because Timothy was being discipled and Timothy knew he was being discipled and it was okay. Like Paul's, I think a great example, like, you know, he went and taught and he left the church, like up to whoever was there and they screwed up. Yeah. That's why half the Bible is written. Like half of the New Testament is written to churches that screwed up that Paul is correcting. Yeah. Well, that's discipleship. Can you imagine what would happen if Paul tried to do that right now with oh. churches? Let's bring this back around to something here. Um, when churches are dealing with, let's say, numbers, mm -hmm. just numbers, okay, um, there's a propensity to to start changing a few mm -hmm. things to try and, and, and cushion those numbers or whatever. And I'm not saying that churches just go out of their way to make sure that their attendance and the bills are paid and blah, blah, blah. blah. Yeah, I, to but I, I totally think, get that. I make that point in my book, right. too. Like, I don't believe it's... I don't believe people are intentionally doing no. this. No, but but something that you said uh, really stuck with me, and that is the church ha is operating more under a business model than a, a spiritual model. Mm. And that could be the actual crux of the problem mm -hmm. itself, is that when you don't work under the spiritual model, now think about this. If the disciples were with Jesus and Jesus said, all right, now I'm sending you all, did they stand there for two days talking with him about how they were going to get their food, how they were going to have finances, how they were going to do all this? No. He said go, and they went. In fact, in fact, Jesus, <laughs> in fact, I think it's in, in Matthew, one of one of the Gospels at the beginning, right? It actually says that Jesus said, don't take any extra food, Anything. any extra clothes, any extra nothing. Just take literally what is on your back and just go. And go. So, yeah, I, I think that for the most part, the church in, in North America, okay, yes, they have very, very good intentions, okay? Mm -hmm. They have very good ministries and all that. But ultimately in the day, we have got to ask ourselves, uh, if Jesus comes back right now, mm -hmm. am I ready? Mm. And, and I think that's something really important. And I don't want to, like, point out, no particular leaders or anything like that. Right. But the reality of it is, is elders and pastors in the church, they need to realize a very, very hard truth. And this hard truth is that most of their congregation do not believe what they're preaching. Most of the congregation does not understand what discipleship is. No matter how much I, I just read an article this morning, actually, and it said that 85% of pastors... I think I saw that post. Yes, 85% of pastors believe that the Great Commission is a command to all Christians. 85%. Mm. Like, that's a huge number. Just over 50% of Christians 
even know what the Great Commission is. And 25% of Christians do not believe making disciples is a command at all. Hmm. I'm sorry, but you 85% pastors that think your church is healthy, you are wrong. And numbers prove it. The church leaders have got to realize that what they're doing isn't working. And they have to be humble enough to accept help from people outside of their church who know what's going on and have been taught by the Lord of how to do this. And that's a huge issue, I think, in in a lot of churches is the leadership. They are not humbling themselves. Mm. They think because they have a degree and they have all of this stuff, they, they, they know everything and that what they're, what they're talking about is true. Well, you might, but your congregation doesn't. So there's obviously a huge disconnect between what pastors believe and are preaching and what the church is actually accepting and believing. And I think I know why. Because we have taken on this out of context Love everyone thing. Mm. I'm sorry, but I also believe the basic general stance of the church now is is it's not healthy because they have accepted and they have taken in and they're cuddling this mm. thing of this love message. Okay, Jesus loved us, but he also told us there's things you shouldn't be doing because it will be very costly to your person and to your spirit. So okay. that sounds like a whole nother podcast. Yes, story. it does. So we're we're about running out of <laughs> we're about running out of time. So what I think would be really cool is, I mean, if you're game for it, I mean, I'd love to continue recording, you know, some of these with you and and, and talking about some of this stuff because uh, I do believe it's important, you yes. know, for people to hear um, about it. And but chances are they're not going to listen to us for three hours. So I'm looking forward to to continue ministry with you and to having you on some more episodes. Yes. Thank you guys so much for listening and until next time thank you so much for listening to the awakening the sleeping giant podcast don't forget you can contact me anytime by emailing me at be the at gmail.com you can also learn more about our ministry the exchange by going to our website www.madetheexchange.com and if you have not already don't forget to like and follow this podcast as well as share it with your friends now go out and awaken the sleeping giant Yeah.